Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, podcast from The Lancet Oncology. It's January 2024, and I'm senior editor Owen Stretton. This month, I will be talking to Professor Shankar Shiva from the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne about the International Society of Stereotactic Radiosurgery's new systematic review and practice guidelines for stereotactic body radiotherapy in primary renal cell carcinoma. Good morning, Shankar. Thank you for joining me. Could you uh, provide a brief overview of the International Society of Stereotactics Radiosurgery's rationale for the systematic review uh, regarding the use of stereotactic body radiotherapy for uh, primary renal cell carcinoma? Uh, what motivated your team to conduct this review? So just a bit of background, the International Stereotactic Radiosurgery Society, or ISRS, was founded as a global non-profit organisation in 1991. So its mission is to innovate collaborative research, knowledge sharing and communication and high quality clinical guidelines such as this. So SBRT or uh, stereotactic ablated body radiotherapy or stereotactic body radiotherapy, they're all the same thing. Uh, we, I tend to call it SABER. SABER for primary RCC is one of the hot topics in radiation oncology as it's a, an emerging new modality for treatment. One of the reasons for this is that in uh, classical teaching in oncology, and certainly within my training in radiation oncology, we always thought that kidney cancer and renal cell carcinoma was inherently radio-resistant. It's really been the advent of new technology and novel uh, precision techniques in radiotherapy, such as SABER, which allows us to give very high doses, short duration of treatments, and effective treatments uh, that have renewed the interest in renal cell carcinoma. So the motivation for this guideline was really to guide the knowledge for optimal strategies, for management uh, issues, and to also coordinate some of the challenges uh, that we need to get navigate for, uh, for implementation of this technique worldwide. So your, uh, your systematic review focused on primary outcomes uh, such as local control, progression-free survival, and overall survival, uh, and on safety outcomes such as uh, assessed treatment-related toxicity and renal function. Uh, could you elaborate on the key findings and uh, were there notable trends or variations in these measures across the studies reviewed? How does the evidence for SABER compare to the traditional surgery in terms of both safety and efficacy? So to summarise the key findings of the systematic review component, uh, the analysis looked at over 3,000 uh, papers in total initially, which were eventually screened down to 36 studies that included 822 unique patients. The average median local control rate that we were observed in this type of treatment for primary kidney cancer was 94.1%, so this is excellent. The five-year progression-free survival and five-year overall survival that was reported in these studies uh, when pulled together was pretty similar at 80.5% and 77.2% respectively. So the trends that we observed in this study is that the average tumor size that we were able to locate in, uh, in these studies were on average 4.4 centimeters. So this is significantly larger than other types of non-surgical treatments that are available for primary kidney cancer. For example, thermal ablation, which is basically a percutaneous insertion of a heat or cold probe um, into the kidney tumor to, uh, to just physically destroy the tumor. The average size for these types of treatments is somewhere in the two and a bit centimeter mark. Uh, and typically less than three centimeters. The average tumor size in all of the SABER treatments that we were able to observe at 4.4 centimeters is significantly larger. And in fact, often larger than that's reported in the prospect of trials of surgery. The other trend that we saw that um, on average, most patients had pretty poor kidney function 
So the average EGFR or estimated glomerular filtration rate, the average glomerular filtration rate was 55 mils per minute. That means that a chronic kidney disease class of three. So the average patient had pretty significantly impaired kidney function prior to their treatment. Despite this, very few patients underwent dialysis and the grade three to four toxicity rate uh, was observed in 19 out of 80, 822 patients. So that's a grade three and grade four toxicity rate of only 3.4%. So overall, the control rates were excellent, approximately 95%. And the uh, average, despite having a, a lower baseline kidney function, the toxicity rates were pretty low. When comparing this to other types of treatment modality, we've already discussed that the, the tumor sizes were much larger than what we see with thermal ablation which is either radiofrequency ablation or cryoablation or the microwave ablation. But comparing to surgery, these patients are quite different. They're quite often quite uh, more older. Um, they are inoperable patients, so they have more medical comorbidities that may lend them to having a poorer survival. So the overall survival is typically a little bit lower. It's dominated by non-cancer deaths, not cancer-related deaths. Safety is, is very good in this cohort, despite being a pretty crumbly population. Population, the, the side effect profile was relatively modest and the efficacy of the treatments was similar to what we'd see for surgery. So while they're not directly comparable to surgery, which is the standard of care because this is a different patient population, it certainly is promising and I think it is something that warrants a comparison in a, in a randomized trial. So as we've mentioned, the uh, findings of this review uh, were used as a basis for developing guidelines. Uh, could you elaborate on the process of developing these guidelines and how were the recommendations formulated and what considerations were given to specific scenarios of interest relevant to the management of primary renal cell carcinoma? So initially we identified some key questions that to be addressed to be able to help the readership understand and better manage their own patients with primary kidney cancer. So the key questions initially were formulated and agreed on by the authorship group. And then the levels of evidence were determined using a, a um, validated framework, which was the Oxford Center for Evidence-Based Medicine Levels of Evidence Guide. So once the level of evidence were, um, were identified for the key questions addressed, then a strength recommendation was then subsequently derived using the grade consensus methodology. Uh, and we ended up coming up with four key questions to actually address. So uh, in translating uh, your guidelines into clinical practice, uh, what challenges do you foresee in the implementation of SABER for primary renal cell carcinoma? Uh, are there specific recommendations within the guidelines aimed at addressing potential barriers or uncertainties in real-world applications? Translating guidelines into clinical practice is always a challenge, and one of the particular barriers in this type of high-technology treatment such as SABER is the use of, uh, of high technology approaches. And so having the technical expertise and the confidence and availability of clinical protocols to be able to apply these techniques is crucial. So as part of these guidelines, we did address some of the issues about technical limitations and some of the appropriateness of patient selection. We also uh, gave an adapted um, dose constraint table. So what we apply to be able to uh, allow and define the appropriate um, dose regimens for treatment uh, and for some of the surrounding organs at risk around the kidney from the TROG 1503 Fast Track 2 clinical trial. This clinical trial has probably the most robust evidence that we have for primary kidney saber and applying this also into the uh, guidelines is helpful. Specific recommendations that we came up with in the guidelines uh, are really addressed at, uh, at um, addressing some of these potential barriers and uncertainties. 
These recommendations are some of the common issues that clinicians face. One of them is around the reuse of post-saber biopsies. So one key recommendation we came up with is that a routine post-saber biopsy shouldn't be performed. And this only uh, it should be evaluated in the context of patients that we have imaging suspicion of progression. So this is important because there is a temptation to try to pathologically assess the efficacy of a saber. But the radiobiological, radiobiological approach with saber really doesn't allow for this. It's not the way that radiation works, and we don't recommend this approach, and this has been thoroughly debunked by a couple of prospective trials recently. A second key recommendation we addressed was for those patients with a solitary kidney, whether SABER is safe and is effective. Certainly we found that patients who had a solitary kidney, so for example, those who've had a prior nephrectomy for a, a different kidney cancer in the contralateral kidney, those patients who receive SABER for a solitary kidney um, in general are finding this in a safe approach and effective also for this tumor. The notable exception is are those patients who have stages four and five chronic kidney disease, in which case we don't think that SABER is a, is a safe uh, approach and, and should be uh, fly with caution in this kind of con context. The third key recommendation was about post-treatment follow-up schedules. That's important to both assess the kidney and also potential organs that uh, kidney cancer can spread to. So the recommendation from, this, from our group was that the follow-up schedule should include cross-axial imaging of the abdomen, for example, CT imaging with contrast, including both the kidneys and the adrenal glands, and some surveillance imaging that at least encompasses the chest. And this should be performed initially at six months and six monthly uh, in the first instance, and then spread out to yearly thereafter. The fourth recommendation and final recommendation we came around was about the optimal dose regimens. So using different dose protocols for SABER for patients with kidney cancer, uh, there are a lot of different options available and trying to harmonize this is a challenge. But the best available evidence that we have is that for patients that have smaller tumors, those less than four to five centimeters, so you know, in general, this is still regarded as relatively large, but in the context of SABER, this is what we consider smaller. This is 26 grain, one fraction seems to be an optimal approach. And for those patients who have larger tumors, so those greater than four or five centimeters, uh, the general kind of consensus uh, approach would be somewhere between 42 gray and 48 gray in three fractions. Or if these dose constraints can't be met, maybe uh, winding down the dose a little bit and fractioning in a little bit more to 40 gray and five fractions. So um, considering the international scope of the ISRS, uh, how do you anticipate these uh, guidelines influencing the management of primary renal cell carcinoma globally? And given that this is a changing field, are there plans for regular updates or revisions to the guidelines as new evidence emerges? Since SABER for primary kidney cancer is a relatively novel and emerging field, rigorous guidelines are always going to be welcome in this space. I think this will give confidence for those clinicians practicing globally to be able to implement their own program of primary kidney SABER and have some reassurance that there are some guidelines suggesting some of these key approaches, such as a follow-up schedule, the utility of SABER in solitary kidneys, and also what some of the dose schedules should be. So having these kind of guidelines will, I think, have some impact globally. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, some of the, the clinicians in our field and colleagues will have some more confidence about treating primary kidney cancer and recommending this within their multidisciplinary group. 
I'm confident that the, the guidelines will be broadly disseminated and widely used. And these guidelines are always going to be living documents. They're going to be organic. And as the evidence builds, we do expect that revisions will be required. In the future, we do hope to, uh, to update these guidelines as required as the emerging evidence. And I think some of the spaces that we're going to see is potentially where saber and systemic therapies fit in the context of primary kidney cancer, whether we should be looking at multiple kidney tumors within the same kidney. If we're talking about different type of histologies, often it's clear cell carcinoma, but what do we do about different non-clear cell carcinoma, which characterize about 90% of kidney cancers, but there are other types like pillory and chromophobe where there's little evidence for guiding our practice. Uh, and finally, whether or not there is some utility for the use of SABRE in context with surgery, such as neoadjuvant approaches. These are things that are going to be developing in the horizon over the next five to 10 years. And as this kind of organic development of the evidence builds, we really will have to update this guideline. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me today about, about your guidelines. You can read the review and guidelines now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor Shiva and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to In Conversation with The Lancet Oncology wherever you usually get your podcasts.